0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The second reading is 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and this is in on page 1225. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete.
1: David, thank you very much, and let me add my own welcome to you. Good morning, it's very good to see you here this morning. As Peter mentioned, we're beginning a new series looking at 1 John, and it'll be a great help if you can keep your Bibles open at that second reading from those first four verses of John's letter. And also you might just find it helpful to look at a handout which you will find inside the service sheet that will give us a little guide to where we're going over the next few minutes. Well, as we turn to God's word, let's pray for his help. Father, we would recognize this morning that there are many voices in the world around us. Voices that claim to understand the truth about the world, voices that claim perhaps to know all about you, but often these voices are false. And so we thank you for your word that is truth. And we thank you that by your word we can know you and be certain that we have life in you. Please help us this morning. Would your word be at work amongst us, um, bringing us a great assurance that we have this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Some relationships matter a lot more than others. Uh, That person who we meet at the co-op buying uh, milk in the morning, um, the person that we might see on the bus as we head into work every morning, there might be a a hello, um, good to see you, but not much more. Uh, in those kinds of relationships uh, Of course there are some relationships that matter a lot more to us The, the people we work with day in, day out uh, Our neighbours perhaps uh, Friends who, who we share life with uh, These relationships matter a lot more to us well, Of course there's the other kind of relationship There's the, the bank manager who sorts out our mortgage That's an important relationship uh, There's the surgeon who is about to operate on us the next day that's a very important relationship there's our family our spouse, our children those around us who are family that's an important relationship Uh, we've heard in the news just yesterday that um, the Archbishop of Canterbury Justin Welby has discovered that his father was not Gavin Welby as he thought and we thought but in fact it was the personal secretary of Winston Churchill and it's big news It's, it's unsettling news for him I can imagine Because those close family relationships matter a lot to us. We live in a world full of relationships. Some matter not very much. Others matter a very great deal to us. But as we start our series in 1 John, we're going to see a relationship that towers over every other relationship we could ever have in the world for all time. It's there in 1 John 1, verse 3. John writes, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ here is John's purpose in writing his letter to his initial readers, and I take it to us here today. He wants his readers to have fellowship. Yes, with him, that's important, but more importantly, to have fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. And it is this relationship, fellowship with God, which matters so very much. Later on in his letter, in 1 John 5, verse 13, John says again why he is writing. He phrases it slightly differently, but the sense is almost exactly the same. If you have your Bibles, do flick forward to 1 John 5, verse 13, just over a few pages. And John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, our our bank manager can help us with our money. Our surgeon can help us with our health. Our, Our spouse, our family can help us to feel loved. Our friends can bring us community. But none of those relationships can bring us what a relationship with God brings. Only God can bring eternal life. And it's about this most vital of relationship that John writes to to help tell us how we can be certain that we know God and therefore certain that we have eternal life through God. And there's a real urgency to, to, to John's writing. He's not just writing for the fun of it because as he writes, there are people around in his day who are spreading falsehood and lies about how it is possible to know God. And these um, troublemakers are are causing the Christians to be unsettled. They're worrying that they they actually don't know God and that they don't have eternal life. And John writes to say to them, no, it's okay, you do know God. You do have eternal life. And so uh, he'll say in 1 John 2 verse 26, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Don't listen to their voices, John will say to us this time. But rather listen to, to my voice and be confident you do know God and you do have eternal life. And for us sitting here this morning, we'll discover that those ancient voices in and around the Christians back in John's day well, they are alive and well today. They are whispering and shouting and deceiving and leading astray. And as God's people, we need to be utterly confident about how we can know God and therefore have eternal life. And so straight away this morning, our reading from 1 John 1, 1 to 4 is going to help us. How can we have fellowship with the Father and the Son, and so have eternal life? Well, this morning, first, we see from these first four verses, the life has appeared to the apostles. John writes, verse 1 of 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning The word of life. It's a a kind of surprising way to begin a letter. There's no, dear sir or madam or dear friends, I hope you're doing well. And no, John just cuts straight in that which was from the beginning. No introduction at all. And I think it's because John wants to grab our attention with what matters most. It's a very similar start, if you know it, to how John begins his gospel. You might remember John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word. On both occasions, John is, of course, talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one who was from the beginning. Jesus is the word of life. And John is making an extraordinary claim. He is claiming to have encountered the word of life. Or well, look at how he puts it in verse two. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. It's an extraordinary thing to claim. John says, I have seen, I have discovered, I have encountered the word of life. Of course, there are many claims around the world today to have encountered God or to have encountered something of the divine. For example, uh, there is one who has claimed to have gone into a cave on his own and to have received a vision from God given to him by an angel which he wrote down and then has spread around and now today millions of people believe and follow those words. There are others who are told that we have to go to a certain place to to experience God and somehow encounter the divine. I remember when I was a curate, I was on a a training day, and on one particular day that the focus was on church buildings. And uh, we were invited to engage with the thought that church buildings are really all about being places where people can come and experience God, have some kind of encounter with God, whether they know God or not. Just to, to be in the building is, in some sense, to kind of sense God we were told a little while ago I watched a documentary about a lady who basically pulled back from life completely she she left her job she she actually left her family and she went to live in a little hut in the middle of nowhere and she cut herself off from all kinds of um, modern gadgets and electronics and she just lived there on her own away from society because she felt that was how she was going to experience something of the divine that was her approach Of course, there are others who would say that there is nothing to experience. There is no divine. There is no God out there, so why try to find him? But in the midst of all these competing voices about whether there is or not a God and how we experience him, John says, I have encountered the word of life, the one who was with the Father, eternal life. It is a a massive claim. Why should we take John's claim seriously? Because, verse one, John says, we heard him. We have seen him with our eyes. We have looked at him. Verse two, the life appeared. We have seen it. Verse three, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. John is talking about the incarnation. God stepping into our world, taking on flesh, appearing visibly, audibly in the person of Jesus Christ. This is, therefore, no private vision seen by one person, perhaps in a cave, away from the rest of the world. No, Jesus walked around in full view for all to see. Teaching publicly, speaking publicly, healing publicly. And John says, we have seen and heard. And when he talks about we, it's not the kind of royal we. It's the, the, the apostolic we. It's, it's those who, from the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, have been with Jesus, seeing everything and hearing everything. Those are the ones that John is talking about when he says we this is no subjective experience. Was it God? was it not was that real, or was it just me? Did, did, did others experience that too? No, this is objective, concrete, public, and repeated. Some years ago, I lived with a friend called Dave for, for, for three years in fact and um, we got to know each other pretty well over those three years. We, we talked a lot together, we, we ate together, we shared life together quite a lot. We discovered that Dave was much more tidy than I was and much better at cleaning the house, which was wonderful for me. Um, uh, I got to know Dave's strengths and weaknesses, um, how he acted under pressure, I understood his wisdom and insight through life. And that's what happens, isn't it? If you spend three years with someone, you you get to know them very well, don't you? I'm sure we could all think of people who we've spent that kind of time with over the years and how well we've got to know them through that extended period of time. But you see, John spent three years with the word, with Jesus, and watched him teach and heal and interact. He saw him under pressure and how he coped the stress and his, his, his motives and priorities, his power, his wisdom. And John says, I proclaim to you what I've seen and heard, that life has appeared. But there is another reason why we can take John's claim so seriously. Not just for those three years that John was with Jesus. Did you notice, verse one, that John talks about how our hands have touched. It's a slightly unusual thing to say. Why does John mention that here? It might just be that he's saying all our senses were involved as we engaged with Jesus. He could be saying that. But I think it's much more likely that he is referring back to our first reading from John's gospel, John chapter twenty. Remember the disciples, those apostles after the death of Jesus were were struggling to believe that he might have come back to life and Thomas was struggling and he said, unless I can put my hands into the nail marks and touch his side, I, I won't believe. But in John 20 verse 27, Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hands and put them into my side. And so when that same Apostle John writes in his letter, 1 John, that our hands have touched, I think almost certainly he's referring to that post-resurrection encounter with Jesus as the disciples, even though they were overwhelmed by it, were able to put their hands into the holes in the hands of Jesus and touch his sides. And even though it was unthinkable, they realized that Christ had come back to life even though he had been dead. And here is the ultimate reason why John says that he has encountered the word of life, the eternal life, because this one, Jesus, has come back from the grave. No one does this. You won't find any other person in the world who can come back from death. And that is why John says, verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. The life has appeared to the apostles. And that is why John is able to say something remarkable at the end of verse 3. He says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, He can say it because he has indeed encountered the one who has come from the Father, the Son, Jesus. This isn't some arrogant claim, it's it's truth. But what about us here this morning? It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if through those doors at the back, Jesus would have walked through walk right here to the front. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if we could in turn just come to the front and, and, and with our hands touch his hands and touch his side and, and see uh, the wounds for ourselves. It would just be wonderful, wouldn't it, to see the living words in front of us. But we can't. And of course, isn't that one of the big objections people make to us as Christians? They say, oh, we, we love what you're saying, but, but where is God Just show us God and then we'll believe. And of course we can't show them God. And so what do we do? Well, John is a great help to us. We might be 2,000 years too late to see Jesus, but we can still know him. Why? Well, that's our second point. The apostles have proclaimed the life to us. Verse two again. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. You see, John knows that his readers and us here this morning, we, we can't see Jesus. But you see, he proclaims to us what he saw Why? Well, verse three, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And as we stop and engage with what John is saying, it is actually absolutely amazing. John is saying, I've tried to put it on the diagram here in the handouts, He is saying this. We're 2,000 years too late. We can't see God directly with our own eyes. He just isn't here for us to see. That avenue isn't open to us. But if we accept the testimony of the apostles who did see Jesus, if we accept their claims about Jesus, then we are in fellowship with the apostles and their testimony about Jesus. And if we are in fellowship with them, then, John says, we are in fellowship with God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. To put it another way, we cannot see God directly, but through the words of the apostles, we can truly know God. We can truly have a relationship with him. But it is only through the testimony, the witness of these first apostles. And yet, so many people today seem to ignore these words of the apostles and they make up their own ideas about God and how to know him. In a recent survey done by YouGov two years ago, it emerged that only 28% of Church of England clergy believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father. In the same survey, uh, 20% of, and these are clergy in the Church of England, 20% don't believe in a personal, knowable God. What voice are they listening to? How do they come to that conclusion? It's not John's voice, It can't be because John is so very clear. There's only one way to the Father through the Son. And it's through the the teaching of the apostles. And yet it is possible to know God. He is relational. He has appeared on the stage of history. Earlier, a a different survey from uh, the Christian research found that over a third of clergy don't believe in a physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. Again, that's in direct contradiction to what John is saying about the word of life. And these are people who are meant to be preachers and teachers of God's people. It makes you wonder if that's what they think. What do other people think in this country? And this is so serious. If we step out of fellowship with the apostles' teaching, we step out of fellowship with God as well. That's verse 3. And yet, sadly, up and down this country, that is what so many people are doing, whether they realize it or not. And so John calls us to stick with his teaching. And if we do, incredibly, we have fellowship with God. I just want to pause here for a moment. I think so often we get ourselves into a muddle about what's going on here. I think many people think that uh, on one hand, over here, we have uh, the Bible, which is good. Um, but we think it's full of lots of propositions and, and logic and, and statements about God. It's, it's like a, maybe a science manual or a tour guide about God. And so we read the manual or the guide and we discover facts about God. And then over here, we have our relationship with God our experience of God, our, our day-in, day-out interaction of being a Christian following God. And we have these two kind of parallel tracks, the Bible and our experience of God. But, but that, that's not the, the picture John is painting for us this morning. Did you notice that when John talks about uh, what he has proclaimed to us, verse two, he proclaims both a message and a person, at the same time, he calls it the Word of Life. This written testimony about Jesus—it's it's a living word. It is how we meet Jesus. I'm not saying that the Bible is a, is the same as Jesus. That, that that's going way too far. But I am saying that this written word, the testimony of the apostles, is a living word. And as we read the living word, we, we definitely, we do encounter God as we read his word. We need to bring these two together. We experience God and encounter him as we read this living word. And there are no other words like this living word in the universe. Of course, words are powerful. Uh, words can grip us. Uh, words can thrill us with beauty and move us to tears. Words can transport us out of our immediate context into a, a different place altogether in our minds but no words are as powerful as the living word that John proclaims to us and as we accept it and pour over it and engage with it it's alive in us it's how we encounter God remarkably 2,000 years after Jesus stepped on the stage of history The apostles have proclaimed the life to us. A little while ago, I came across a story that Robert Sumner tells in his book, The Wonder of the Word of God. It's a story about a man who had just become a Christian and he had just um, encountered God. He had found a new relationship in God and he was thrilled to be a Christian. But not long after he became a Christian, he was involved in a terrible accident at work There was an explosion, and uh, he was terribly injured. And as a result of his injuries, he, he lost his sight. He couldn't read at all. And he was devastated for lots of obvious reasons, but including particularly the fact that he wouldn't be able to read this living word for himself. As a Christian, he was hungry to get to know God through the living word. And so amazingly, he started to learn Braille. So that he could read with his fingers and encounter and, and the living word as he read. But he discovered that because of the explosion and the burns, his fingers lacked the, the, the kind of touch to actually read the Braille, and he just couldn't make out the, the, the dots, and he was devastated. But he read about someone who had found a way to use their lips to read the dots and to read the braille and so read. And so he tried to teach himself to use his lips, but he discovered that in the same explosion, his lips had been so damaged, they couldn't sense enough to read the dots. And so he used his tongue. He taught himself how to read with his tongue. And at the time of writing, Robert Sumner said that this man had read the whole Bible through four times with just his tongue. Why would you do that? Why would you invest so many hours to learn and then to read? You wouldn't do it out of some obligation or duty or to impress people. It's just too hard. You would only do it if you realized that as you read the written word, you were encountering the living word. You were encountering life, a relationship with God. And that's what this man was doing as he read the word. And can you see how excited John is as he writes to us, verse 4, he says, I write this to make our joy complete. And we might have expected John to say, your joy, but he says, no, our joy. And the reason why I think is is because John knows how life-transforming it is to be in fellowship with God, how life-transforming his testimony about Christ is. And he's just thrilled to think that his readers will be able to read about Jesus and have that same relationship he has. He wants them to accept it because then his joy will be complete. This is such wonderful news to have this living word that, that, that shows us how to know God. It's a tremendous encouragement for us this morning. It means that we don't have to go anywhere or do anything. We don't have to go in a pilgrimage or... be really disciplined and and be a good person or or come to a certain shape of building to experience God. Note, as we open up the written word, the testimony of of the apostles, so we encounter the living word and so we can know God. Of course, there is a challenge for us here as well. If we believe this, and I hope you do, then I do wonder what we are doing with God's word. If we believe that this written word is alive and active and it's how we get to know God, then we should make it a real priority to be in the word a lot, to be getting to know this written word. Please do make it a priority this time to come on a Sunday to hear this word preached and explained, come for this whole series in 1 John and come to a small group where we meet week by week to look at God's word again and to apply it to our lives. It's living and active. It's how we know God. And I do just wonder if we've got out of the habit on our own daily reading this word for ourselves. It is remarkable, I think, how often I I speak to people, and I think we all at times will experience doubt. Do I know God? Do I have eternal life? You see, so often our, our circumstances around us can scream out a very different narrative to us, that God's not there, he doesn't love us, he's not around, he's abandoned us. But if we are people who are in the word daily, feeding ourselves on it, reminding ourselves who God is, fellowshipping with God, that I have found over the years that actually when the storms come and the circumstances scream a different narrative, where well, we have a tremendous rock for us to stand on. No, we do know God. His word is in us at work to remind us of that relationship. And as I finish, this might be completely new to us. Maybe we're just visiting, popping in, just to kind of listen in on what it means to be a Christian, you're very welcome. But I do wonder if you would give up some time this term to think more about uh, this word about Jesus, to find out who he is, what he's done, read these first-hand accounts of Jesus. We have a course starting in just over two weeks' time called Christianity Explored. It starts on the 26th of April. Uh, There are flyers around under the pillars. Uh, Why not come along and uh, encounter this word for yourself? In the meantime, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that in a world where there are so many different voices telling us about how we can or cannot know God, we thank you for the truth of this word we have before us this morning, the the proclamation about Christ. We thank you that we can have a real living relationship with you. We thank you for this living word that makes it possible. And Father, please help us to be people who love your word and so know you and love you, people who are utterly confident that we have eternal life in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.